Hello and welcome to The Wardroom, a podcast dedicated to the leadership and development of the U.S. Navy's engineering duty officers. I am Lieutenant Chantel Lavender, stepping in as host for Commander Matthew Horton for today's episode. We are joined by Captain Hannah Crewalt, ComNav Airland N43, Director of Ship Material. Ma'am? Hey, Chantel. Thanks so much for having me. I just want to say to kick it off. I'm super excited to be on the wardroom. Um, I love listening to the episode so far, and um, I'm just super excited that you guys are putting these together for the community. Okay. Getting started, uh, we'll go right into the first question. We toss around the phrase support the warfighter a lot, but what does that really mean? And what can EDOs do to carry that out? That's a great question. So at first, you know, I came up with an academic response, right? Uh, but then when I started took a step back and I started thinking about it more. I think it's pretty simple. Um, Three things really. Show up, perspective matters, and never forget that we are a customer service organization. So what does that mean um, to show up? It means every day when you show up to work, you have to show up with a sense of urgency, with a sense of purpose, and a sense of drive. I really think everyone has to remember that we are in a race right now. Uh, Great power competition is here. And when I take a step back and I, and I talk with my folks on my staff right now about great power competition and what that means to us, um, we have to fight every day as if we are in a war because within the next couple of years, we very well might find ourselves in a war. And so Uh, That should give us a sense of urgency and a sense of purpose that helps us get after what's in front of us on a daily basis. I think it's important to make commitments. So what does that mean? It means, you know, when, when you are, no matter what meeting you're in, no matter what you're working on, it is your job to show up, make a commitment, follow through with your commitments and be a person of your word. Uh, If you recognize you can't keep a commitment, then you make a new commitment um, so that you can follow through and make sure that you're doing what you need to do um, to support those warfighters. We sit in a lot of meetings and we sit in a lot of desk jobs. I mean, for all intents and purposes, I'm in a desk job right now, right? And so sometimes when you're in a desk job in a building, vice on a big gray hull, like an aircraft carrier, um, you can go in and you can treat it like it's a desk job. So if you're not showing up with that sense of purpose, with that sense of urgency, making commitments, following through, uh, being a person of your word, then um, you can lose sight of what's really important. And that is getting our work done so that the warfighters can do what they need to do. I think it's important to remember, like I said, perspective matters. Um, It's important for us to be generous with our knowledge, right? So we are maintenance professionals. I am a maintenance professional, subject matter expert. My boss, my two-star admiral boss is an aviator. So we have very different perspectives when we show up and we approach problems. So it's important for me to make sure that I'm listening, that I'm asking him questions, that I am aligning with him on what he thinks is a priority um, so that I make sure that I stay focused on what really matters and what he cares about and what we need to focus on um, for the aviators that we are supporting on aircraft carriers and the aircraft carriers themselves. 
And then, like I said, never forget we're a customer service organization, right? So uh, every day I interact with the commanding officers across the, uh, I spend a lot of time and effort every day making sure that I stay aligned with them, what's on their mind, um, listening to what they have to say and what their perspective is, because you know, in order for them to be able to stay out there and be fully mission capable, we have to know and understand, you know, what their needs are so we can better meet. At the end of the day, I think everything, absolutely everything. I mean, everything that we do is so that in the event it's required, we are able to establish forward presence and we can wage war on our enemies. And that is not going to be me as an engineering duty officer. That is going to be that warfighter that I support on a daily basis. And so if I'm not listening to him or her and providing them the best customer service possible, then they're not going to um, be able to be out there completing their mission. And that is that forward presence. That is um, being on, on the, the front lines. Of- yes, ma'am. Um Totally agree with that. And I believe that the interaction with the warfighter is very important. Um, You've had the benefit of a lot of waterfront faced the fleet jobs uh, from in-service carrier maintenance to Chang on the Abraham Lincoln and now as a ComNav Airland N-43. What are some of the unique challenges EDOs have to uh, in fleet facing jobs? It's funny. I think back to like when I was a JO, right? So theoretically, all of us start you know, on the waterfront um, and operational type jobs. That's one of the things that makes our our community unique, right? So it's funny, I think about now, if I knew then, know now, you know, how would things change? I think ignorance is bliss. So back when I was a JO, I did not understand the federal budget process. I did not understand the acquisition timeline. I did not understand a lot of the things that I know and understand today. And so I think one of the challenges I face is, like I said, I work for a two-star admiral who has an aviation background. He was an aircraft carrier CO. He was the first commanding officer um, of the Ford, in fact. Um, So he has that shipboard experience. But, you know, he comes to me with requests and says, hey, Hannah, this is what I want. It's my job to then go back and tell him the right way to get things done, right? So I am no longer in a position where I'm ignorant to the process and the big machine up in D.C. and, um, you know, all of the Beltway fund that we deal with on a daily basis. You know, it's our job. Operators know strategy and tactics of war fighting. It is my job to know strategy and tactics of the Beltway. It's my job to make sure that I keep him straight and do my best to accomplish what he needs me to accomplish, uh, but in the way that I need to do that. And working with, you know, my fellow six, mm-hmm. I think that... Uh, I do not work for an engineering duty officer, so that relationship and that um, camaraderie that I have with my fellow sixes, I I will tell you, pays huge dividends uh, because, you know, he's telling me what the operational side of the house needs. I'm able to then go share that information with all of my program manager counterparts and the folks up in D.C. and at OpNav um, and at NavC. And by sharing that information, we are all, as an enterprise, better capable of meeting uh, the operator's expectations and needs. 
I think right now, you know, if you were to ask me from just a rote job perspective, what is my biggest challenge? I think everyone would agree it's delivering ships on time at or below budget right? That is what I struggle with the most. I spend the majority of my day every day and every week working with Norfolk Naval Shipyard and working with Newport News Shipbuilding in order to improve schedules, communicate schedules, adjudicate issues so that we can work as a team to drive those ships out of the shipyards at the earliest opportunity possible. I think when you look out over the next couple of years, um, our budget's tightening. You know, so our ability to lock packages and say no, uh, I think we as a corporation struggle to say no um, in certain situations. And so, you know, I've been working with Admiral Downey and PEO carriers to make sure that we're aligned on what's needed for the operators. But at a certain point, when you hit package lock, you got to lock the package so that folks can, you know, know and understand what the work is that they're expected to go do and so that they have a hope of actually planning that work out. Um, even on the program manager side of the house, if I forever tell people I want things pulled left, pulled left, pulled left, but they don't have the runway to get the drawings and all the planning, you know, um, documentation put together, then it's going to be awful hard to go execute if we haven't given, you know, the appropriate amount of time to plan the work. So, you know, I I think that's our real number one challenge. And ironically, uh, well, not ironically, I think um, it's good that is that is in direct alignment with the current NAVC strategic framework, right? Um, I think, everyone, at least hopefully everyone knows now, you know, that mission is to design, build, deliver, and maintain ships, submarines, and systems reliably on time and on cost for the U.S. Navy. Um, People should have that like ingrained in their fiber and everything that they're going off to execute on a daily basis. If it is not in direct alignment to achieving that mission, then we should not be working on it. That's my opinion, um, at least. <laughs> so uh, yes, ma'am. that's really our challenge right now. Yes, it's a very unique position we have as engineering duty officers to uh, bridge the gap between the warfighter and the acquisition and maintenance side of the Navy. Um, it doesn't appear as if the overall level of work is going down, but we're resource constrained as far as time, money and people are concerned. How do we prioritize what needs to be done? It's a challenge I think that each one of us faces. I will tell you, uh, it all starts at the top from my perspective. So what is in the national defense strategy? What is, you know, the CNO strategic vision at this point in time? Um, When I was a junior ED, people used to train me, hey, uh, follow the money. If you follow the money, it'll tell you what's really important. And so for me, and as I talk to my staff, and as I work with the various program managers, it really does uh, go back to the NDAA, what's in that National Defense Authorization Act. Um, December 15th, the Senate okayed a $778 billion plan, right? $27.3 billion for shipbuilding, $13.3 $13.3 billion for Milcon. It also included a 2.7% pay increase for all of us, which is a good news story, right? Um, 
<laughs> it was a 5% jump. Absolutely. <laughs> right? Everybody likes more pay. Uh, 5% jump from previous fiscal year defense policy measures, uh, which also includes $300 million to deliver equipment and training to the Ukraine's armed forces amid a potential Russian invasion. So... I, go back to my previous answer, you know, about great power competition. Um, you go back to my basic ED training of follow the money. Um, where should you align your priorities? You align it, you know, with, with what we're aligning our money to, right? Because I think, uh, which is also why it's so important to stay current with what's going on in Washington, D.C., right? Because things and politics change. Absolutely. You know, you could wake up one morning and all of a sudden the program that used to be funded is no longer authorized, no longer funded. Um, so it's very important to stay current with that news. And that's because that then perturbates down into, you know, the NAVC strategic guidance. It should align with what Admiral Meyer's priorities are because, you know, his priorities are aligned with fleet forces, which are aligned with the CNOs, which are aligned with the NDAA. So I think it's important for all of us to remember, no matter what part of the organization you're in, you have an opportunity to stay current on your news, to make sure that you understand what is funded and what isn't funded, because that then helps us align our priorities. So once you get into that um, and past, you know, the higher strategic guidance and things like that. So how does that trickle down into what I would tell, you know, Lieutenant Lavender to go work on, right? I think it goes back to commander's intent. So it is my job as the director of ship materiel to take all of this strategic guidance, to know and understand what's been funded. And I should be able to take that and distill it down into how does that mean I'm going to change how I fund my aircraft carrier 1B4B budget? How does that mean that I need to um, align funding to strategic initiatives that are in line with what this guidance is, right? So things that we're off working on with PEO carriers um, utilization of artificial intelligence, utilization of machine learning that can apply to improve schedules or um, provide us some ability to forecast repairs needed on certain systems. Um, there are things that we have to decide on a daily basis or get to decide on a daily basis that are the mechanics of how, you know, we execute um, that strategic guidance that's been provided to us. So I have to make sure that I am very clear on my commander's intent with my folks. Um, Admiral Meyer is amazing uh, at co communicating with the troops, if you will. He is very clear about what his expectations are. My job is to be clear about expectations um, so that my folks know and understand my goals. Uh, one of my favorite authors is a gal named Brene Brown, and in her book, Dare to Lead, she has a kind of a catchphrase that she uses, clear is kind. So whether you're talking commander's intent or whether or not I'm giving a performance evaluation or feedback um, of some other kind, I am a firm believer that clear is kind. It is my job to be clear concise and communicate in a way that is easily understood by the folks that are, are working for me. Thank you, ma'am. Um, so 
you mentioned the executing commander's intent uh, and doing that. We as EDOs, we have to plan and strategize via a lot of meetings that we sit in. And I know you're a bit of a crusader when it comes to load shedding meetings that aren't value added. Can you share with us some of your strategies for crafting a good meeting? Absolutely. So I did a individual augmentation back when I was um, over at Norfolk Naval Shipyard at the end of my qualification tour. And I had the opportunity to work for a commander who was in the CEC, the Civil Engineering Corps. And I learned a a lot about meetings from him uh, that I have applied throughout the rest of my career. I would say a couple of really easy things. you have to have a start time, you have to have a stop time, and you have to have an agenda to have an effective meeting, right? And that's important because not everybody enjoys sitting in meetings. I think it might be a prerequisite to being an engineering duty officer because we are literally in meetings 24 hours a day, it feels like. But, uh, you know, there are action-oriented personality types that will sit in meetings and the entire time you're talking, they'll be thinking, when is this going to be done? I have this and this and this and this I got to go do, right? So it's important for you to be very clear, right? Clear is kind. Be clear with your folks about the expectations for the meeting, which is your agenda. Um, I think it's also important to manage the man hours, right? So, or mind the man hours, if you will. When you look around yourself when you're in a meeting and you look at all of the individuals that are either in the room with you or on the phone, you should be calculating a man hour charge for that meeting. If the information that you're putting out is not important enough to spend the dollars associated with that man hour um, estimate, then you should be quiet and cancel the meeting, right? Um, so now we can't just cancel all of our meetings though, right? So there's really two options. You either make the meeting effective or you get rid of it. So how do you make an effective meeting actionable? So on your agenda, as you're working your way through it, if you are not actively pointing, you know, well, figuratively, I guess, pointing at someone and saying, what is your action out of that? Um, I heard an action being captured. What is it? Who's taking the action by name and assigning a specific ECD at, back to my commitments, right? Making commitments. Um, if you're not doing that, then it's probably not worth having the meeting. I think meetings are good when all of the right stakeholders are in them. So if you don't have the right attendees, that's another reason that you should not have the meeting. Um, And I would even offer, even if you intended to have all of the right attendees, and for some reason the right stakeholders weren't able to show up for that particular discussion, you're still better off saying, we're going to pause, we'll reschedule when we have all the right people in the room, and you move on with life. Uh, Because all of those man hours for those individuals can then go back to actually getting work done. And and that's really important right now. Uh, If you're keeping your people trapped in meetings all day long, they have zero time to go off and work on all of the initiatives and the issues that we really need them to work on. So it's really important. You know, make sure you have all the right attendees. Make sure you're minding your man hours. If it's worth it, keep talking. If it isn't, don't. 
Um, eliminate non-productive meetings and make sure that you're staying firm to those start time, stop times, and agendas. Help your your team trust you also, right? When you respect other people's time, then they will respect yours as well. Yes. Um, yeah, I believe that intentionality is super important in anything that we plan to do and uh, executing any strategy that we've already uh, thought about and put in place. And I love the clearest kind um, mantra because it does just open the door for everyone to communicate in an effective way. Um, I think a lot of the things that we are challenged on is effective communication. It's probably one of the most important skills for us as officers to maintain. In your opinion, ma'am, how do we increase the speed of communication and ensure the important details are not missed, both in written and um, verbal communication? I, I think we all need more practice, right? And so I, I think, is especially the more senior you get, you can get into this mentality where you feel like... Um, I already know that. I already know how to do that. I already know how to talk. So what do I need to learn about communication? But I would offer you, you know, a couple of the books that I've read, like uh, Dare to Lead by Brene Brown. There's also a training that NAVC has invested in called Crucial Conversations that has you literally go through several different scenarios and practice communicating very difficult messages with one another. When you are communicating messages that are either complex, uh, difficult to receive, uh, maybe they are even um, conflict, right? So not everything that we communicate is nice, right? Uh, Sometimes we're fighting or we are not happy with the person that we're communicating with. Uh, it's important to practice how would I approach a situation like that? How would I approach a scenario where I'm having to communicate this very difficult message or um, a message that you know is not going to be received well with a person? So I I think it's important to practice. I think it's important to work and learn new skills so that you can improve those things. I, I think it's also important to remember that personality matters in this game, right? I I am an extrovert. Um, Not all engineering duty officers are extroverts. Uh, Many of them are introverts, right? And so how I communicate is sometimes off-putting to some other people. And so the the more you practice it, the more you can recognize, hey, when I'm in a conversation with this particular person, I need to make sure that I'm pulling back right? Um, Because if I communicate on top of other people, then other people can uh, interpret that as being rude or that I'm not listening, uh, things like that. So it's just important to to learn and grow, uh, especially the more senior you get, so that you can know and understand some of those verbal and nonverbal clues. The other piece you talked about is improving speed of communication. So I think as you negotiate your work days and things happen, you have to pause and think, who else needs this information? Uh, Why do they need the information? Uh, Who can help me with this piece of information? Uh, I think you've got to think through that. And so... I will tell you, I go from meeting to meeting to meeting. 
And so as I have conversations with different people, there are portions of those conversations that I, like you said, intentionally share, being intentional with your dialogue, I intentionally share with different individuals so they are aware of what I am aware of um, because knowledge is power, right? I mean, that's... um, has always been true and still is true. So I I also think though nowadays because we all get inundated with information, we can find ourselves in a situation where we're bandwidth limited, right? And so that's a right. different different situation. Um, so if you're in a bandwidth limited situation, then you have to. Um, make sure that you are clear with the people that you are communicating with what, why you're sharing this information with them, right? So if I just arbitrarily forward every single email I get, all I'm doing is clogging up somebody else's email. So I'm either sharing it for informational purposes only, I'm sharing it because they have action associated with that email, or I am sharing it because they have, um, I need a response or I need them to work on something around it. So it's not just communicating information, but it's also making sure that you're clear on why you're sharing information with folks. Um, I think the other piece too is, you know, that feedback loop, right? So don't assume that someone has read or has seen your email that you sent. So I do think it's important to make sure you have a feedback mechanism, if you will, Um, If you're not sure if someone received your message, then you should ask. It's really that simple. So um, again, just being very clear with folks uh, and clear on your comms, making sure that you're, you're touching base with folks, making sure that they've received the message that you're sending and you have that, you know, confirmation process. Okay. Uh, We touched on it before uh, just about being the Bridgeway um, as an EDO and trying to uh, navigate the bureaucratic system, as well as um, identify and understand the issues, and in some cases, be the one to present the solution for the warfighter um, when it comes with um, the frustration of the bureaucratic machine. I don't know if there's anything more upsetting professionally than seeing a project go week to week with no status change. It seems like the tiniest bit of resistance can bring the whole thing to a halt. How do we install resiliency and urgency in our workforce to overcome the grind? That's a tough question. (laughs) Uh, Hannah's thoughts on that one. I would tell you, first and foremost, in my opinion, um, you can't give something you don't have, right? So I cannot give resiliency to my workforce. I cannot give a sense of resiliency. urgency to my workforce if I do not have a sense of urgency, if I do not um, have that resiliency. And so I think it's important, you know, when we talk about those things, so what is this resiliency that we're kind of talking about? I think the definition in this situation is the capacity to recover quickly from difficulties. Um, So, why is that important? I mean, how many times do you go to work and you have something difficult happen? I mean, it's every day, right? So, right? Yes. Multiple times a day. So, uh, every day I show up to work 
all day long, I am presented with challenges, right? Difficulties that happen. And so uh, I go back a lot of times. In fact, I shared this not too long ago when I was uh, an 04 at the time, NAV COO was Vice Admiral McCoy. And I had a counseling session with him. And he said, Hannah, if you were going to be able to stick around in this business, if you're going to be able to succeed, you have to get used to hearing bad news all the time. Because people do not come to you and talk about all of the things that are going right, right? Correct. Hopefully, they come to you and they talk to you about what's going wrong because you need to know about it and they need your help. And so I think it's very important for me um, in that situation, right? Because these difficulties could be all sorts of things. They could be physical problems. It could be, you know, equipment issues. It could be a personnel issue. It could be a personal issue. Um, it could be all sorts of problems that come to me. Uh, so I always stay focused on the fact that I fix performance. I do not fix people. And I remind people of that because I think we were all created for hard things. I mean, we come into this world fighting. You have to fight for everything. You have to fight to be fed. You have to fight to have your diaper changed to fight for everything. Um, we are fighters. We are born to fight. We are born to deal with these difficulties. Um, so I think it's important to remind folks that they are not broken. You know, if I, if I was in the business of fixing people, that would imply that somehow they're faulty, which I don't believe. I believe that each one of the folks that works for me comes to work wanting to succeed. And it's my job to help them navigate the difficulties that, you know, come into their way or get into their way of being able to perform. Um, I think it's also important to remind folks that they're not broken and that we're not fixing them. We're fixing performance because if for some reason they were faulty, then there would be no hope that there could be change, right? And I think that every day when I go into work, I have hope that when I go home that evening, I will have left things in a better condition than when I got there that morning. Each day presents its own challenges, but each day I deal with those challenges. My staff helps me deal with those challenges, and we press forward to then deal with new challenges or or perhaps continue on with battling the challenges of the previous day. So when it comes to the real work side of it, I remind folks, sometimes we're planting seeds, right? So in order to change something, in order to change the outcome of a, of name a situation, uh, you have to start at the beginning, uh, which is planting a seed, watering and watching it grow. But that all takes time. And so you can't give up. It takes time to create that change. It takes time to influence culture. It takes time um, and effort from the top down and the bottom up. And so you've got to work on the things um, that enable that and the, the enablers. So, you know, from a resiliency perspective, you know, that's what I kind of focus on. Okay. I love that answer. Um, I do think that us are resilient um, just to get to where we are. Um, and you also mentioned recovering quickly um, from difficulty. And 
Captain Young, when he was on a few episodes back, he talked about the need for every EDO to begin a battle damage assessment repair uh, as a critical thinking skill or as a critical skill. And you touched on um, recovering quickly from difficulty um, just in our thinking as well. But I think tied to that is a mentality shift as we look forward to the potential great power conflict. How does our thinking need to change? Yeah, I think... um... A couple of a couple of ways. So it, for me, it goes back to that first question. You know, how do we in our face the fleet jobs really um, help those operators? It's that sense of urgency. Um, I think it's important for each one of us when we show up to work to think through: if I was at war, how would I change what I am doing today? Because we are at war. It's just a war that's not necessarily a conflict you know, uh, on soil, if you will. We are in a fight every day um, to stay neck and neck with China and Russia, right? And so I think that as we approach all of the jobs that we have, uh, for me, it's, you know, from an HM&E perspective, when I think about it, how do I need to shift my mentality um, in order to expedite repairs or repairs in place. And so uh, a couple of things, you know, I always say you got to be grounded in the truth. And the truth, in my opinion, is instructions, right? So we have an instruction in the Navy written on pretty much anything that you want to do or going to do. Um, what parts of those instructions or what things in those instructions or processes would you need to change if you needed to expedite repairs or expedite getting things done? Um, so, you know, when I think BDA, battle damage repair capabilities, I also think machine shop capabilities on aircraft carriers, right? So, um, HST is out right now. You know, I've been in many conversations with Deedle, their CO. Uh, we talk about, you know, their machine shop capabilities. What raw materials do they take underway with them to have on hand in the event that they need to machine parts themselves? What organic capabilities do they need to have on board that aircraft carrier to fill uh, those IMA type responsibilities that they have? What training did we need to get those sailors? Um, and how are we offering sailors opportunities to learn and grow while they are underway? So in my mind, uh, I think back, you know, Ike, while she was on deployment, um, did some ACE-4 repairs that were really deep depot level repairs. And you know, how do we get all of our aircraft carriers into the same position where they're capable of a depot level type repair? Well, you start small. One, you, you train your sailors, you know, give them their basic end rate knowledge training. But then two, it's giving them opportunities on smaller things so that they build their skill sets up so that when they are faced with a larger challenge, even though they may have not done that in the past, they dive in and they try. Right. But that happens over a period of time. You start small with smaller jobs. You let them go off and try. Um, you're open to the fact that they may fail. Right. Uh, but you give them that opportunity because it's better to build their skill sets and have them sharpen their teeth, if you will, on the smaller items so that when something big happens, they are not uh, professionally frozen, if you will. 
they're not so afraid of failure that they don't even want to try. And they've been working on all of their, you know, in-rate skills as they've moved along so that they're actually capable of it. So, you know, that's like the mechanical stuff. Um, it's also, though, um, making sure that leadership on the deck plates and leadership on the various ships knows how to validate that they're in an okay place. Um do they know what your the expected system response is for the particular system that they're working on? If they know that expected system response and they're not getting it, are they able to go in and troubleshoot and figure out why? Uh, I used to tell my sailors when we did engineering duty officer turnover, I'd review logs and, you know, I would ask them, you know, questions about the out-of-spec readings and, and I would tell them, you know, your system is talking to you. This is your equipment talking to you. What is it saying to you? Are you familiar enough with your system to understand what it's saying and why it's saying that? Because all of those types of things are the analytical skills that are required to troubleshoot something that's not going right. So you have to be present. You have to listen. You have to review your logs. You have to be familiar. Um, but it takes leadership helping, you know, junior sailors become familiar with that. It also means, you know, that um, as leaders, you have to be able to bound risk associated with various repairs. So how do you know which jobs they can start with? And then the bigger ones and the bigger ones and the bigger ones. How do you bound the risk associated with that? Right. And if we are at war, you're not going to be pulling a ship back in. And in some cases, you won't be able to fly tech reps out. Right. So the way that we bound risk and adjudicate it may end up being a little bit different than than where we are today. And so I just think it's really important for us to work with our staffs and for us to work with our sailors to help them build those skill sets um, that are so important when you're troubleshooting a system and uh, coming up with repair plans to go off and execute. Okay. Yes. Um, bounding risk is very important. And I'm sure I've been exposed to some things being a project officer at the Mid-Atlantic Regional Maintenance Center. I'm sure you've had your fair share of experiences of roadblocks just in the system um, that prevent things from moving forward. So what are some things we can do to speed things up um, while we're bounding risk and uh, getting over those roadblocks? This is both in ship repair and in new construction. I think to the max extent possible, we got to be reusing processes and procedures. I think every time we go off and have to re-engineer something or get someone to engineer something new, that adds a, a lot of time into um, the process that we may or may not have. So I, I think to the max extent possible, being able to reuse process, being able to reuse procedures. Um, is very important. I also think, you know, we have had a tendency over the past couple of, you know, years, well, probably the last decade or two, to sometimes over-engineer things. Um, I remember coming out of RCOH's Chang, and uh, Admiral Lloyd will remember this because uh, he was around at the same time, and I've talked to him a lot about it since. You know, when you're coming out, are we testing things to new con specs, or are we testing them to 
how we operate, right? And so, um, and there's got to be a balance of both, right? So when you're coming out of a new construction environment, you expect that it, that your new construction ship should be able to operate in accordance with design specs. But the interesting part about that is that we're the ones that came up with the design specs, right? So, I mean, in partnership with Newport News Shipbuilding. And so, you know, I think, (laughs) I think sometimes we can, you know, get caught up in, well, that's how, you know, that was the design spec. Well, why was that the design spec? Why did we choose that as the design spec? Um, Maybe it needs to be changed, right? And there's flexibility there. Uh, But again, it goes back to the bounding of risk, like I talked about previously. How do you know you're in okay space? How do you know what that expected system response is? Because that is all going to then inform, should we change this design spec or not? Um, I think that, you know, as we work, sometimes good enough is good enough. And so if me operating um, an ABT, you know, if it's operating in accordance with my spec on my MRC card, is that good enough? Maybe so, right? So if the spec that I'm testing to is more stringent, um, Maybe there's a reason, maybe there isn't, but I think we need to challenge that, right? Uh, because I think we can get ourselves caught up in paperwork do loops over items that um, may just be good enough. And so our workforce in general, we've got to, you know, be willing to challenge, you know, what is written. Uh, I also think that it's just your mentality, yeah, we have to drive to accomplish things today. If there is a reason why we can't accomplish what we are wanting to get done today, then okay. But if we can make a few phone calls and fight to get it done today, then don't wait till tomorrow to do what you can get done today. I think a lot of times we have well-intentioned workforce, but again, it goes back to that sense of urgency and that drive to accomplish. We have to strive to accomplish everything that we can in every given moment that we can every day, because again, we are in a race and, and we have to fight to win. Right. Yes, ma'am. Um, speaking of fighting to win, uh, we just mentioned the not just, but the USS uh, Gerald R. Ford uh, has been the Navy's uh, most recent acquisition. And um, I know you were a project officer on that vessel. Uh, what lessons did you learn from your tour as project officer on the Ford? So the Ford was fun. So, uh, I mean, the Ford still is fun. I still, you know, she, um, is in her PIA right now, which I'm super excited about. Uh, I came onto the Ford program just after she finished her PSA SRA and I was the project officer through the PDTNT. Um, and it was just a really exciting time because it was the first time really, you know, through those woos and ISCs, the windows of opportunity and the independent steaming events where we were really able to flex that ship and, and see what she was capable of, which is a lot. Um, I learned a lot during that time frame about 
some of the topics that we've already kind of talked about. Number one is communication, right? Uh, And communication and commitments. You know, there were a lot of commitments that were made at very senior levels um, in the Navy, the Department of the Navy, Department of Defense, and Congress around the Ford, um, I think that most folks are familiar with. And so I learned a lot uh, working with Admiral Downey around, you know, how we communicate internally and externally, how we make sure that stakeholders are aligned um, and how we remind folks on a very regular basis what our priorities are and what we need to go after. I think, you know, I've talked a lot about that sense of urgency, right? That PDT&T, we never stopped. I mean, COVID hit, uh, but there was not a day that we weren't working PDT&T on Ford. Um, Even, you know, we did it safely, but even, you know, bringing folks on board that ship to work and folks worked not just in port, but underway as well. So it took a lot of time and coordination and communication, but that sense of urgency that we had on the Ford program and still have on the Ford program, I really do think um, drove results and, and gained us results. I learned a lot about how important it is to educate people. So even now, I have realized that there are a lot of misconceptions around Ford uh, and where Ford is today. And so even from a PA perspective, uh, what we do as the Navy, it is important for us to educate the general public. It is important for us to educate Congress on what we do and why we do it and how we are doing it, uh, because that sense of transparency and their ability to understand what we're doing and why we're doing it um, ends up fostering a more trusting work environment, which then makes things go much smoother um, than it would otherwise. I would also say, uh, from Hannah's perspective, uh, limiting turnover is important. So you know, there are like, there's a lot of lessons learned from a technology insertion and just, you know, the mechanics of how Ford operates. Um, When you have folks in very key positions, it's important to do your best, number one, to choose the right people with the right skill sets, knowledge, skills, and abilities, and to keep them there for as long as possible so that you have continuity on those programs. Um, I think, you know, the more turnover you have, and and we did experience turnover in all levels of the organization, it, it makes it difficult because then you have to go back and recreate some of that history. So um, that's one item I took away from it. Uh, like I said, in the post-delivery tests and trials period that PDT&T, the WU-ISC framework that was established was different than anyone had ever executed in the past. So I would also offer everyone, don't limit yourself to past thinking. So I do think it's so important to leverage lessons learned. I think it's important to learn from the past. I think it's important to grow from the past. But I also think it's important to be able to challenge, 
you know, the past. And just because you have a plan laid out at the point, at the earliest opportunity that you realize that that plan is not going to get you where you need to go, you need to change. Don't say stay so tied to the process and so tied to the instruction, if you will, that you can't think freely enough to create a path forward for success. And I would just offer, had we not changed course at the end of PSA SRA and established that WUISC drumbeat that was laid out and executed it in that fashion, we would not be where we are today. Um, on Ford, and we would not be as close to employment as we are today. So um, I think, you know, we have partnered well with Newport News Shipbuilding. I guess that's another takeaway I would, I would tell you. You only finish together, right? So I think, you know, if you find yourself in a place, you know, back to those crucial conversations, and oh, by the way, we did crucial conversations training at the Ford IPTD Step 1. Um, when you're in an environment where you are challenged, right? What we faced as a team was very difficult. And so when you find yourself in those places, if, if you're not partnering with your private industry partners, if you're not partnering with Norfolk Naval Shipyard, who is also executing work, uh, if you're not partnering with the the private sector maintenance contractor, if you're not partnering with all of the government agencies, if you if you find yourself where in an adversarial position, vice a partnering position, you're not going to have a successful program. Okay. Well, ma'am, thank you for your thoughtful and in-depth responses that definitely challenge our ways of thinking um, in order to keep business moving forward and keep our projects moving forward and on the right track. Um, Second to last question, do you have any book recommendations for us? I'm definitely a fan of Audible and uh, just because I spend so much time in the car, so I try to take advantage of time to and from. But my recommendations for books would be The Culture Code by Daniel Cole, The 360 Leader by John C. Maxwell, Dare to Lead by Brene Brown, um, Grit by Angela Duckworth, and Atlas of the Heart, which is Brene Brown's new book. So just came out, haven't read it, but I'm a huge Brene Brown fan, so looking forward to reading that book. Uh, but that's what I would recommend from a book perspective. Thank you for joining us in The Wardroom. If you have questions you would like our guests to answer, comments or suggestions, you can email us at thewardroompodcast at gmail.com or tweet or follow us on Twitter at Wardroom Podcast. If you like what you heard today, be sure to give us a rating on your favorite podcast listening app. It helps others discover the show and allows us to keep getting phenomenal guests like the one you heard today. We look forward to meeting you again in The Wardroom.